You're listening to a message provided by Antioch Bible Baptist Church in Gladstone, Missouri. We intend this to be a helpful resource to you as you grow in your walk with Jesus Christ. This is intended especially for those who are unable to attend our worship gatherings and therefore were unable to hear the teaching of God's Word. This should not replace your gathering with our church as a member. If you're checking us out for the first time and are looking for a church to visit, we hope that you enjoy this content and that it impacts you personally. Thanks for listening. Parents, thank you for gathering for worship day with your kids. The rest of you, get used to noise. It's all good. It's awesome. It's awesome. Guarantee you, they dealt with it in the early church. Dealt with it in the Old Testament. Nothing new out of the sun, the Bible says. It's all good. And they weren't gathering in large spaces like this, so you can imagine what that looked like sometimes. So, um, a few weeks ago, uh, Jared Quigley, who's um, uh, both a friend and a member of this church, um, as well as the head football coach um, of the North Platte Panthers, who qualify for the state title game next, next week, that's awesome, um, he asked if I would come and uh, speak um, to his team at their pregame dinner um, that they, all year long, um, the night before, the, the evening before their game, they would have a pregame dinner with their team where they'd bring in a guest speaker and, um, and that Jared shared with me that each week they would have a word of the week. And so when he asked me, he said, now, Todd, you speaking is going to be based on us, first of all, making the semifinal game, which they did. And so on Friday night, I had the privilege of going there. Their game was yesterday, so I had the privilege of going and speaking to this group of young men. Um, and I, I, I had to ask him, now, Jared, I, 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 I can't use my Bible, right? He goes, that's, that's the point, man. I want you to point into Jesus. And uh, so here's a group of young men and coaches and a public high school. It was awesome. In, in Dearborn, Missouri, and as I was preparing to speak, and the word for the, so the word for that this week, he told me, is the word finish. And so I was, as I was preparing to speak to that group of young men about the word finish at their pregame dinner, I was also preparing to preach this morning and began to think about how Pastor Steve uh, began our sermon series of the Gospel of Matthew a little over a year ago, and no, we are not about to finish that, um, um, with, but with the primary theme being Jesus is king. And so this past Sunday, as Pastor Steve preached from Matthew 16, which he, 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 he told us maybe the most, most commentators would say, maybe the most important chapter in the gospel of Matthew, where Jesus asked the disciples, who do you say that I am? And shockingly, I know it's shocking, Peter says something. Um, I think that's why I love him so much. I, I, yeah, I like to talk. Peter likes to talk. Peter speaks up and says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Peter and his disciples, as Steve has been sharing, the further we've gotten along in Matthew, as we're now we're about to conclude Matthew 16, they're starting to understand and get it, that Jesus is the promised Messiah. He is the promised king. He is here. He has come. The one they've been praying for, waiting for, he is here. So as I looked ahead... When Pastor She shared with me that I'd be preaching day, and I saw that he was going to be preaching for Matthew 16, and we're, not, we're taking a little break just a few weeks through Matthew, but as I saw he was going to be doing Matthew 16, before we begin this, as we begin this season of Advent, officially really starting next week with messages, about where that, the long-awaited arrival of the Messiah would come, I began to ask God for direction on what text to preach today 
to lead into Advent as a standalone message following on the heels of what we just heard last week about you are the Messiah, you are Christ the King. So as I look back at the notes that I've taken throughout our journey in Matthew, I thought it'd be appropriate to preach a message from 2 Peter, because Peter is highlighted a lot in Matthew. Um, His life is highlighted a lot, even though it's all pointing to Jesus. And where Peter, in the passage we're going to read today, Peter is looking forward to the second advent. He's telling his listeners, his audience that he's writing to, his farewell address. The first advent has come. Jesus has come in the flesh. He has died. He was crucified, buried, been risen three days later. But now we look ahead to the second advent, the second coming of Jesus Christ. So before we look at 2 Peter 1, and that's where we're going to be turning today in verses 16 and 21, I want to give you just a brief overview of this farewell address by Peter to a group of persecuted believers. And they were being persecuted for their faith beyond what we can even imagine. Peter will soon be killed for his faith. Peter gives believers in this second letter, this farewell address, a final challenge to keep growing in Christ through the love of Christ. And he also addresses, if we were to continue on in, in, in 2 Peter, he's going to address the way, te- the way the teachers of that day were living. They were living corrupt lives. He was going to, he's going to address distorted theology that is trying to take believers away from their faith. In our text this morning, Peter addresses the lies being told to others, being told to believers who are being persecuted, that he, Peter, and the apostles have just made up all this stuff. That all they're saying about Jesus coming back again is a lie. That is not true. And so Peter, in these verses we're going to read today, is going to address that head on. To refute these lies, Peter is going to talk about an eyewitness experience he had with Jesus, with James, and with John in Matthew 17. And I've already told Steve I'm not going to get too much into that because I don't want to, it's going to be a great text when we get there. But I can't do this pass without going to Matthew 17. The resurrection church of Jesus Christ means just that meant to those first century believers. It means that Jesus is alive as king and he will return. Say that. The future return of Jesus to bring God's kingdom will fulfill every promise spoken of throughout the Old and New Testament. Every promise that has already been fulfilled with his coming, those same promises will be fulfilled in the next coming of Jesus Christ. They are not lies, they are not myths, they are not fables. We'll see this morning, it's based on not only eyewitness account, but also on the more sure word of God that we hold in our hands. So I want to invite you right now, turn your Bibles or your electronic device to 2 Peter chapter 1, and follow along with me as I read verses 16 through 21, where Peter writes this farewell address. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he, speaking of Jesus, received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention, as to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Father, thank you for your word. 
Thank you for inspiring Peter to pin these words to, to give us not only his audience then, but the audience today, exactly what we need to hear. I would even say what Peter says, that we would do well to pay attention. I pray we would listen well. I pray, God, that I would decrease and you would increase. That we'd leave this room knowing that we have heard from you. That what we hold in our hands is a more sure word of prophecy. So God, please use your word to transform lives today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. In Peter's farewell address, I believe in in these few short verses, he tells us of the certainty of Christ's return with these three truths that we're going to see today. The first one is this. Peter says, when he says we, and he says we for a reason, because James and John were there with him, we have seen the power, honor, and glory of Jesus Christ. Peter says that in these verses. Peter says, we have seen the power, honor, and glory of Jesus Christ. The second thing Peter says to his audience is, not only have we seen that, we have also, we have heard God the Father proclaim his son's glory. So they both saw and they heard. And then thirdly, we're going to see in this text, we have the truth of God's word that confirms Jesus Christ's return. So if you don't believe what I've seen, what I've heard, trust the word of God. If you're not for sure of what I have seen or what John saw or what James saw. I believe Peter chooses this doctrinal issue of Christ's return over all others Simply because false teachers, he's going to address false teachers more directly in chapters 2 and 3. They were attacking the audience of that day on this very point. So Peter identifies two sources to verify the truth of Christ's return. Eyewitness account and the word of God. And so we'll jump in. First of all, Peter says, we have seen in verse 16 the power, honor, and glory of Jesus Christ. As I read it again, for we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. The word myth, or some translations use the word fables, is is he's using it, Peter is using this in a very derogatory way. He's saying they are all lies that cannot be validated with any truth at all. There's nothing to back them up. Stories like Pandora's box where in that Greek culture, they still told story of Pandora who opened up her vial. She opened up her box and all these evils of the world jumped out. That cannot be validated. That is not true. That is a myth. That is a fable. Peter is saying, what I am telling you today is no myth. It is no fable. It's backed up by real people, real places, real events, real dates on the calendar. All of it is backed up by these things. Peter debunks these myths. By appealing to an eyewitness experience he and James and John experienced, which we're going to get to in a few weeks in Matthew 17. So I invite you to turn back to there. Or you can look on the screen as I read these passages. I'm not going to spend a lot of time in it, but we have to go to it because that's what he's talking about here. Where the Gospel of Matthew in 17 verses 1 through 9 says, And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. That's so, so Peter, isn't it? And Jesus, thanks for inviting us along, man. This is awesome right now. Like, it's just good we're here. I just love Peter. Um, If you wish, and this is even better. Peter says, you know, I'm here. I'm not going to say something. Let Let me do something while we're here. He says, I will make three tents here. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. 
He was still speaking. Of course he was still speaking. When behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud says, This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. If there was ever a time, think, think about this, guys. I'm trying to picture myself. I cannot imagine what's going through the minds of Peter, James, and John in this very moment when they realize they are in the very presence of not, not, not just Jesus, their friend, but Elijah and Moses. Like, the ones they've been reading about, the ones they've heard from their birth, from their childhood, all of a sudden they're in their very presence. If there was ever a time for them to bring popcorn up on the journey, this would have been the time to sit back and just, and just eat along and just thinking, wow, this is incredible. Like, can you, I mean, they're talking to each other, man. They're, I mean, they're like seeing some sneak previews that no one's ever seen in their life. Yeah. They are, I, I, I can't imagine what that moment must have been like for these three guys. I mean, it would have been a dream. I'm sure their eyes were the size of half-dollar coins, man. Like, they couldn't have got any bigger of thinking what they were seeing yes. in front of them on this very mountain of God. But here's the crazy thing. I, I find this amazing. Jesus, in this moment, when they're coming back down the mountain, he entrusts Peter not to tell anyone. Like, don't tell anyone about this until... I have been risen from the dead. Can you imagine entrusting Peter with that task? I'm sure all three of them, quite frankly, were just thinking before he said that, I cannot wait to brag about this with the other nine. Because they didn't get to see this. We got to see this. You know, already I'm sure there was already envy already and jealousy with these other guys already. But, you know, they couldn't even tell what they saw. They had to stay silent until now. Why now? Because Jesus has been raised from the dead. Now, Peter, in this farewell address, which I'm sure he had already mentioned this story many times since, but he now gets to tell his audience about this eyewitness account of seeing Jesus shine, the Bible says, like the sun and his clothes, white as light. In this very moment, church, Peter is telling his audience, I got to see Jesus Christ in all of his resurrected glory. Not the Jesus we're used to seeing that we're walking this journey along with. We're seeing Jesus in a way of who he really is. This is who the creator, the great I am, really is in this moment. I, I believe the apostle John is saying it just like this in Revelation 22.5 when he writes, And night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Church, you understand, there's going to be a day where we won't even need the physical sun. We will have the very light of Jesus Christ. Which tells us our human eyes could not handle that. We will have to have glorified eyes, glorified bodies to even handle that kind of light. Because we will be with him. I, I can't, my human mind cannot comprehend that. But that's what they saw in this very moment. Peter is seeing Jesus as he really is. The great I am is in their presence. He's giving a sneak preview of what is to come when Jesus returns. We took a look back in our text here. It says, we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Peter identifies the nature of this event. It was his power, his coming of his majesty. The term power in the Greek literally means dunamis. The word coming means parousia. And they're best interpreted together. They're not separate. They're together. While parousia, the word parousia usually refers to the future return of Christ. Here, when it's combined with the Greek word dunamis, it literally means his powerful coming. Not just any coming, a powerful coming. A coming like we've even more powerful than his virgin birth. It's a coming the world has never seen. It, this transfiguration on that mountain that Peter's describing is a precursor to what it's going to look like when Jesus returns a second time. Peter's saying there's no one like him. He's telling the false teachers of that day there's no one like him. He's telling the church, I promise you, this is what I saw and this is what he will be. He will return just as I saw him. Peter goes on to describe what happened on the mountain as him receiving honor and glory. The word honor denotes the exalted status being bestowed on Jesus. It's actually referring to his deity, which means his divine nature. There's no one like him. No one like him. Peter is telling his audience, he's saying in verse 16, I was there and I saw what is to come. I know this is true because of what I saw personally of what James saw personally, of what John saw personally. I saw this miraculous transfiguration right before my very eyes. Peter had something the false teachers of that day did not have. He had an eyewitness account. He was there. But then Peter says it's true not only because of what he has seen, he goes on to say, we have heard God the Father proclaim his son's glory. So now, not only, Peter's not only saying, this is what I have seen with my eyes, perhaps my eyes deceive me. This is what I heard. So not only with his eyes, he's now talking about his physical ears of what he just heard. And we read in verses 17 and 18, it goes on to say, for when he, Jesus, received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, and we were with him on the holy mountain. Peter tells us, in the midst of seeing Jesus in all his glory, God the Father speaks up and says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And I love how Matthew says it, listen to him. Not just see him, listen to what my son is saying. This is the second time Others would have heard the voice from heaven. We see it in Jesus' baptism where the father speaks down from heaven and said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He repeats his very words on this holy mountain. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He's validating his son, Jesus Christ, that he is the promised king. This text is a reminder, church, that our faith isn't rooted in fairy tales and myths and fables and fiction. Peter is telling his writers, his audience then, he's telling us today, they didn't fabricate these stories about Jesus. It's based on eyewitness account, on ear witness account. They both saw and heard all of these things. I mentioned earlier, Pastor C has been sharing 
how the disciples by Matthew 16 are now understanding that Jesus is the king. They've seen him walk on water. They've seen Jesus raise people from the dead. They've seen Jesus heal the blind, the deaf, the lame. They've seen him feed 5,000 and 4,000. And now they are seeing the glory of Christ. Something they had yet to see. Something the other nine did not get to see. Look at what the Apostle John writes in 1 John chapter 1 to his audience to just validate what Peter's writing here. In verses 1 and 2, John writes, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. John is validating what Peter is writing here. He's seen it. He's heard it. He's touched it. He's heard the Father. So not just one witness, two in the Word of God we see at least here. Skeptics would say Peter both saw and heard crazy things, but Peter says emphatically it wasn't just him who saw and heard these things. It was we who saw and heard these things. Church, this text is a reminder that our faith, again, isn't rooted in these things, isn't rooted in fables. Because of what Peter saw and heard through the life and ministry of Jesus Christ, because of what John saw and heard through the life and ministry of Jesus Christ, because of what all the other disciples saw and heard throughout their lives, their lives were changed forever with the exception of Judas who betrayed him. But in this moment, I love this. Peter doesn't just stop with his audience on what he has seen and what he has heard. He then goes, he appeals to this. He says, we have the truth of God's word that confirms Jesus Christ's return. You don't want to believe what I've seen. You don't want to believe what I've heard. Believe the word of God. Get the Old Testament out. They didn't have the New Testament yet. Read the scriptures. Go to the temple. Open the scriptures and see if the things that he has spoken about have come true. In verse 19, Peter writes, he writes in verse 19, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. Church, he realizes his audience don't have the eyewitness experience that he did. But what they do have is the more fully sure word of God. They have that they can turn to. Peter is telling us today, pay attention. He was telling his audience then, pay attention. He's telling us today, pay attention. He's telling both audiences, listen to what the Old Testament says. Listen to what the, I I didn't know, I don't know if Peter knew his letters would be read by us today, but they are, and we can pay attention to what he is saying today. I would encourage you, read the rest of 2 Peter later today or this week. Go back to the Old Testament. Just look at all the prophecies that have come true. Pay attention to all that Christ has done. Peter is writing this farewell address to believers who are being persecuted for their faith. They were losing family, dads, moms, brothers, and sisters. Many of them turning against each other because they did not want to lose their Jewish roots. 
Many of them having to be being shunned by their own family because they're following Jesus Christ now. Losing jobs. Losing homes. They're being scattered. Being thrown in prison. Many are losing their lives because of their faith in Jesus Christ. It was a dark time. The history says that Nero was taking believers and using them as torches on streets. It was a horrible, horrible time to be a believer for a tough time to be a follower of Jesus Christ. This is who he's writing to. And he's, Peter is saying, in this dark time, in this dark world, believe the word of God. Say that. Trust it. It's sure. I know it seems dark right now for you, but trust it. I believe he's telling us in the year 2023, turn the news on. It's a dark world in which we live in. By the way, it's always been a dark world. There's never been good old days. It's always been filled with evil in this world. Always. But look what's going on around us now. Israel and Palestine. Not just across the pond in our own neighborhoods, college campuses, violence in cities, the anti-Semitism that's rampant. And church, stand against that. That is evil. That is evil. Peter is saying in this dark time, church, pay attention to the word of God. Know there's hope through the word of God. That what we hold in our hands, church, saints have died for this. They've shed their blood. So what we hold in our hands is the very words of God. I I say this all the time. I, I don't know how in the world I functioned in the first 24 years of my life without the word of God in my life. As a follower since age 24, it's still hard with the very word of God in my life. But I'm so thankful that now, whatever times are coming my way, no matter what trials come my way, no matter what trials come your way, what times come your way, we can turn to the very word of God. It's hope. Peter is telling his audience, he's telling us today, Pay attention to what has been written. You can count on it. You can trust it. Peter goes on to say, we have a trustworthy light to get us through these dark times when he says, as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. One of my favorite psalms, I, I use it all the time when I write. I, write, I do kids' Bibles to, to parents who've, who's had, who've had, a, had a birth in their family. And the verse I write In the Jesus Storybook Bible, when I send it to him, is Psalm 119, verse 105, where God's word says, your word is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. Church, in this dark world, this world, this Bible is a lamp and a light. Peter is saying that one day Jesus will come, and when he comes, any kind of spiritual, moral, political, social, any kind of darkness you can imagine, it will give way to the glorious light of Jesus Christ. It, darkness will be overcome. It cannot stand in its presence. Peter is telling his readers, if you don't believe me, go to the scriptures. You can have complete confidence. In verse 20, he uses the word knowing. That word knowing is used 16 times throughout the letter of 2 Peter. He is confirming the divine inspiration of God's word when he says in verse 20, 
Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. He's confirming what Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16 when Paul writes, all Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. These, what Peter's writing here, what Paul writes in 2 Timothy are two of the great proof texts that what we hold in our hands is the very word of God. He goes on to write in verse 21, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. When Peter writes that the scriptures didn't come from someone's own interpretation, he means that the word didn't come from the prophets themselves. They weren't in a Bible study and says, what do you think this means? No, what it was, rather, the originator of what we hold in our hands is God himself. That word, those words carried along, it gets its meaning from, just like a boat is carried along the water, the sails are caught by the wind and just carried along those waters. Peter is saying the very word of God we hold in our hands, the, the writers, the prophets, they hoisted their sails and God breathed this word that we hold into our hands that it's the originator is God, that we can have complete confidence that it's he who wrote this. Yes, he used the writer's personalities. Yes, he used their styles. But what we hold in our hands is God's breathed word. Say that. Wow. Wow. Peter is telling his church that when you add personal experience by the witness of himself and others and combine it with divine, divine revelation given to us from Genesis to Revelation, you have a powerful combination that confirms the glorious return of Jesus Christ. Eyewitness plus the Word of God. I shared earlier a few moments ago that I I was once lost, as all of us were, and at 24 years of age, Jesus Christ radically changed my life. But I can also say this, The greater than my experience of coming to faith in Jesus Christ is the reality that when my feelings are all messed up, and they get all messed up at times, when I'm not feeling real saved some days, when I'm wondering where my mind is going, where I'm thinking what in this world is going on right now, I ought to be further along in my faith sometimes than I am. I can turn to the Word of God, and I know that it confirms I know Jesus Christ is my Savior. I'm glad that my salvation, your salvation, is not based on my experience. It's based on the sure word of God, of what Jesus Christ has done for me, what he has done for you. That's what Peter is saying here today. I know in this crazy world, this evil world, full of chaos, it'd be easy to be despondent and despair, but I can turn to the word of God and know that we have, as the word of the day was, hope. We can have hope that it won't always be this way. That Jesus will return one day and he will make all things right. All things right. Over 2,000 years ago, people like the wise men, the shepherds, the disciples, and, and others, they were ready for the Messiah to come. Can you imagine 400 years of darkness They didn't hear from God. 400 years. That's a long time. Nothing. Silence. 
But then in a moment, he's come. In a little town, obscure town of Bethlehem. Just as he promised he would from the writers in the Old Testament. As I spoke to that group of young men on Friday night, I told them that the all-time finisher was Christ himself. And believe me, I'm not trying to compare a football game to what Jesus did. I want to, make, I want to be clear on that. But the last words Jesus said on the cross in John 19.30 is, it is finished. It is finished. This promised Messiah finished what he came to do. To be born of a virgin. To live a perfect life, a life we could never live. To die on a cross to pay the price for our sins. And it would seem at that moment, it would seem at that moment if we were there, it would seem at that moment that all of Christ's enemies and all of hell must have been rejoicing that this promised king was dead. Was dead. That they had won. But as we know, three days later, Christ was raised from the dead. Which now finally allows Peter to write what we read today. I have seen, I have heard, and it's been confirmed by the very word of God. And because Jesus lives, we now wait, Peter says, for the second coming of Jesus Christ. You, he's telling his audience, I know a bunch of stuff's going on in your life that you may not escape. But I can promise you, this king, he is coming back. I don't know if we'll see that in my lifetime or your lifetime. I don't know. I just know he's coming back. Just as they wondered if the first coming would come, he came. He will come the next time just as assuredly. And so I believe the question we must ask ourselves today when you read this text from 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 through 21 is this. Are you prepared for the certainty of Christ's return? Are you prepared? Have you experienced the salvation that only Christ can give? You see, Peter, he didn't start out real well. Matter of fact, he denied him three times. But here, Jesus is using Peter to finish well to talk about what he got to see, what he got to hear, and how the Word of God has changed his life. You see, the preview of Christ's return has been seen and heard and been validated by the Word of God. So my question again to you, are you prepared? But I would follow it up with this. How will you finish? How will you finish? The Bible says, what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Have you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation? Whether you're here or online, there's no, there's no in-between. Either you know Jesus or you don't know Jesus. Amen. Acts 4.12 says, There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Jesus came as a lamb. Next time he will come as a lion. He will come in all of his glory, just as they saw on that holy mountain. 
And when he comes, he will rescue his. Are you one of his? Have you put your faith in Jesus Christ alone for salvation? Are you prepared for the certainty of Christ's return? If you have, take heart, church. There's hope. No matter what, no matter what takes place today, tomorrow, next week, next month, next year, we have hope because he's coming back. If you don't know him, I plead with you today. Repent. Admit your need of a savior. Confess your sins and say, Jesus, I'm undone. I'm not worthy, but you are worthy. And you alone can save me. I put my trust in you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the word. Thank you for inspiring Peter to pin these words. Thank you, Jesus, that Peter and James and John got to solve this amazing experience up on the mountain. They got to see you in all of your glory. I love, I, I love where it says, I love, I, love, I love that part, Jesus, where when they, were, when they fell down in fear, I was thinking about what Steve a couple weeks ago when Peter falls into the water. You, you reach down and you grab him. You, in this very moment, you do the same thing with your guys. You, you pick them up and you tell them, fear not. And I love in that very moment, they no longer see Moses and Elijah because they're just men like we are. They were just men like they were. No, what they see is only you. Because God, at the end of the day, everything else in this world is nothing compared to you. It's all you. So thank you, Jesus, for giving us a sneak preview of what it will be like one day when we see you for the very first time. So God, I rejoice of those in this audience or those watching online that know you as Savior. We can take hope knowing that the second advent, the second coming of Jesus Christ can be, we, can, we know it's a sure thing based on eyewitness testimony, based on ear witness testimony, based on the sure word of God. But if there's anyone here today or anyone watching online that has never put their faith and trust in you, I pray today would be the day of salvation. That they would be prepared for the return of Jesus Christ. You're so good, God. Thank you for your word. Please use it to transform our lives today, tomorrow, and forever. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. You're always welcome at Antioch. If you desire more information, please go to AntiochBBC.org. That's AntiochBBC.org. God's best to you.